This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey guys, quick thing. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only question left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Guna Tour back again with you guys for another episode of our Honeymoon series. Of course, this is the show in which I've pre-recorded well ahead of me travelling off to Mauritius in which I reluctantly cannot record any Arsenal content whatsoever. Of course, there won't be any Premier League action from the sounds of things, although maybe you know different to me by the time that this show goes out. But maybe I've got a little bit lucky. Dan Potts joins me. Dan, have I got a bit lucky with the fact there's no football whilst I'm away? Maybe you have. I would. I would say personally that you're more lucky that you're going somewhere like Mauritius, bro, more than the football season stopping. You're not missing it. But you know, yeah. Fair play to you. Listen, first of all, thanks for having me back on. Second of all, Pleasure. absolutely great to see you smashing the channel, man. And the graphics thanks, have really bro. improved things as far as I'm concerned, mate. Um, and of course, which I should have said first, congratulations on the wedding, man. Um, thanks, apologies mate. that I couldn't make it, bro. I, I I literally couldn't get our work commitments, but I did want to come for the evening. And Mike said it was a great evening, man. So, um, congratulations! I'm sure it feels very different. Not, <laughs> um, but no. enjoy your, your honeymoon, bro. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but Genuinely enjoy yourself. Man. Doesn't feel any different at all. It's just like my hands are a little bit heavier. That's that's the yeah. Only I suppose so. Yeah, yeah. I, I, hopefully hers is a bit heavier, mate. You know, you have to spend just more. Slightly, on that yeah, stuff. Just yeah, slightly, yeah. Just yeah. <laughs> slightly. Um, no pleasure uh, as always. You can find Dan Potts on both his own channel now the 12th man podcast and of course on lee judges tv when lee gets off his ass and decides to do one um <laughs> you can find him there but uh myself and dan we've obviously we've spoken plenty of times both on this channel and other channels as well one kind of the biggest debates that you guys and listeners will know that we have is around the manager Mikel Arteta and it's been quite some time since we've had a bit of a catch-up and Arsenal obviously in a very different place they will even when this show goes out still be unless there's been a massive change and somehow games went ahead over last weekend um be top of the table after the first six games of the season. It's been a very good start. And I think that, you know, there's a much more unification, I think, of, of the fans. And what I thought we'd have a good chat about is kind of what, from the perspective of someone like yourself, Dan, who's had your doubts and still does have plenty as well, kind of the, the process, and I don't use that word lightly, the process that kind of needs to happen for doubts to kind of diminish to the point where even maybe the the most harsh critics of Arteta can even start to kind of change. So I think that probably the best place to start is, is where the doubts come on in the first place. You know, what was kind of the main issues I think that kind of started to grow that underlying sense of, I'm not sure if this is the right guy to lead us forward. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Cause you, whenever you say, what did you think of Arteta when it first come in and where were the mm. doubts coming? You have to go back quite a long time now. It's mad because it's actually yeah. his fourth season now. Which he started as an Arsenal manager and I know one of those was only a few months, but this is actually the fourth season we're going into now of Mikel Arteta and it shows you how quickly time flies. But, um, you know, I was saying to you off air that when he first came in, I give him some time because I felt that it was a real tough job for him to pick up where two managers had kind of left us in a bit of a mess in terms of what the squad was like. I thought that some of those players were overpaid and overrated. And I think when he did take them forward and win them an FA Cup, I think he showed something that perhaps he has got a little bit of something that he's learned from his coaching time at Manchester City. And um, 
Mm. I was quite happy to give him that transfer window and see what he could do with a few more of the players that he felt he could bring in to improve the side. But for me, it showed pretty quickly that we were quite inexperienced and that this process was going to take a lot longer than I wanted it to. And I think sometimes people think that those that want to win the Premier League all the time are quite seen as quite spoilt or that they've believed that it's unrealistic to win the season, uh, sorry, win the league every season. Um, yeah. For me, I just wanted to see us get close to a title challenge and I'm, I'm still looking for that 15 years later. And um, I think that's what's frustrated me. And I think that by bringing in a young coach, I think that was going to take probably another five to 10, maybe even 15 years if we're going to see it like that. So that was why I wanted to go down a different route. And um, that ultimately and essentially comes down to why I believe Kroenke is, is not as great for some people might think for Arsenal. So I wanted to go do a process which was bringing somebody like a, a winner, like Con uh, Chelsea has, uh, sorry, Spurs have um, mm. with Conte. Um, and when that wasn't going to happen, I had my doubts. But I wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt. And then when we started to go into that first full season of Mikel Arteta, where we were losing to the likes of Leicester at home, Burnley at home, Wolves at home, getting thumped at Villa at home, I'd seen enough. Um, but he'd got on a bit of a better run towards Christmas time, which basically essentially saved his job by playing some of the young players like Saka, Martinelli and Smith-Rowe. And people started to get on board of it. But I'd already seen that the damage was done and that it was going to take a miracle for me to get us anywhere near a title challenge. And I think that I've started to, over the years, He's I've always put that doubt in my mind and he's always proved me to be like, yeah, you were right to have doubt. And I think that the evidence has been quite clear throughout a number of occasions where we saw... Losses at the start of the season, um, last season, um, losses in chunks like the Southampton and Palace and Brighton games. And I suppose, Tom, that's why I'm interested to see what Arsenal response we get after a loss at Old Trafford. Now, I don't really count Zurich mm. because I expected us to win with a completely different um, team, albeit. But it'll be interesting to see what does happen when we play Everton and Brentford after that. Now, it looks now that those those games are potentially going to be cancelled and our two mm. games after that are now potentially going to be Spurs and Liverpool at home. So that will be interesting yeah. for me to see what response we get <laughs> after an Old Trafford defeat because of last year, we saw three or four losses in a row and then a nice little run. Three or four losses in a row, nice little run. And it was weird because I was thinking back to last season, Tom, thinking... When was there a time last season where we lost one game and then we went on to win the next one? There isn't one because we lost the first three games of the season and then we went on a nice little run. So we had three mm -hmm. losses there. Then we lost to Everton, Liverpool and Manchester City in a row. Then we went on a nice little run there. Then we lost to Man City and we didn't win against Burnley the game after. We bloody drew at home. So yeah, we still couldn't yeah. get that win after it. And then, of course, we went on a really nice convincing run again up until that shambles that was Brighton, Southampton and Palace. And then we started to go on a little bit of a run to look towards that Champions League spot. And then we lost two in a row against Newcastle and Spurs. And, and Spurs. So I think what I'm getting at is what can we do? Can we see mistakes being learnt from? Can we look at a transfer window that we don't leave ourselves short? In my opinion, failed again there. Can mm. we look at trying to turn games around? Yeah, we're starting to see that now. Leicester score, we bounce back immediately. Villa score, we bounce back immediately. The same thing happened with Fulham. We managed to get over, turn over a 1-0 deficit there. Mm. So we're starting to see... And, some, and United, you know, even though we lost there. that game, we, <coughs> we came back, yeah. Excuse me, Manchester United, 100%, mate, exactly the same. So we're starting to see that there is a mentality shift and there's a maturity growing potentially, but sometimes we're still seeing a little bit of naivety, i.e. Yeah. Old Trafford. Mm. So I suppose there's that doubt in my mind. And, you know, it's a, it's a really long-winded answer to give you because I feel like this goes back further than just this season for me, but mm -hmm. to explain it. But they're my kind of biggest doubts. And I do feel, Tom, that this is the last chance scenario this season for him. I don't think we can be looking at going four seasons now into a management process, £400 million spent, having been backed in most windows, in my opinion, still leaving themselves short, but certainly has been backed financially. I don't think we can miss out on Champions League this year and his job be safe. That's just my opinion. No, and I think that, you know, I've said this on the channel a number of times, you know, the minimum expectation for me this season is qualification for the Champions League be that through the league or be that through winning the Europa League we have to be in the Champions League next season because if we're not there isn't anything to suggest that even with the changes even with some impressive signings that we would have taken that next step forwards and no you don't start the season in the same place as you ended the last season because obviously other teams around you make changes new managers come in changes and in terms of investment of other teams and stuff but you know you have to react to that you have to 
kind of fight against that adversity and that changing kind of dynamic to be able to still be competitive enough to push yourselves forward because that's going to happen every single year. So, yeah, I agree. For me, this is a telling season and a pivotal season for Arteta in which, for me, and I think for you as well, you know, he has to achieve Champions League qualification as a minimum. So, just to kind of circle back as well, you know, tackling kind of the transfer window in particular, that is kind of viewed as a bit we, we left ourselves short. But, you know, for me, and you'll be able to give me kind of maybe a different viewpoint on this, but for me, I looked more towards Edu than I do Arteta for the shortfalls in the transfer window. And this is a topic that I know we want to discuss because you've said to me before, like, we praise Arteta for some of the transfers that we do. So then potentially, why do we then not equally criticise if for the things that we don't do? But feel free to kind of lay that argument out in its full. No, um, looking from the outside in, I would look at Edu um, yeah. because I believe that's his role sure. <laughs> um, from what we're told. Having said that, what we're also told is that they're a team and that they come as a uh, as a team and that if Arteta selects somebody, Edu can make it happen together with him and the board, whether you believe it's Vinay, whether you believe it's Richard Garlic, whoever, uh, mm. is a part of that problem as well. So they're always saying, we will do this, we will do this. It's never, we leave it to Edu, he gets the job done. So that's why I point the finger at both of them, because that's what we're being told now is that they're doing this together. Um, You know, Zinchenko and Jesus were a huge, huge part of coming to Arsenal um, because of Arteta, not because of Edu. Mm -hmm. So if we praise Arteta for signing Jesus and Zinchenko, but not Edu, how can we not praise uh, sorry, how can we not criticise when we don't bring players in and it has to be just Edu? So I suppose it's about being consistent with your theory of how we bring players into the club. Is it Mikel mm. Arteta? Is it Edu or is it them both? And I am being told by people that we speak to that certainly know more about the club than me that it is both of them that have the responsibility of bringing the players in. Albeit Edu's whole role <laughs> is to bring players in more than it is uh, Arteta because he's got stuff to do on the pitch. So mm. I think that what I do is I've never really been a fan of the transfer window so far for the pure fact that although we've done some good business, there's also been two things, poor business as well, but also lack of business. And I feel like in the six windows we've had so far to only bring in Willian and Jesus as your forward players in six transfer windows, I think it's really poor, man. Really poor. So William was obviously a poor signing. I don't think Jesus will be. I think he'll be a fantastic signing. You can, I suppose, bring Marquinhos into that now because we've seen him at least and he looks to me like he might be a, a, a bit of a gem. I mean, I was really impressed with him on Thursday night. So yeah. I think when I look at that, that frustrates me because how long is this going to take now? Because we talk about six transfer windows and we only have 15 players still in six windows, which averages out at around about two good players a window. So I'm disappointed that we've not... Um, utilised every transfer window to the top of the um, best of its ability. I think certainly in January, everybody was really disappointed that we didn't replace Aubameyang or at least bring some cover in to replace our fullback issue and defensive midfield. And I think now we're winding on to another transfer window. We've just seen two fantastic signings, two players that are young and unproven at the moment in Marquinhos and Vieira. Saliba coming back, who in my opinion doesn't really count as a signing, but it's great to have him back into the side. I think the positives there are that those three players that have come into the first 11, Tom, Jesus, Sinchenko and Saliba have definitely raised us to a new level. And I think they're a massive part as the reason as to why not just we're playing well, but why we sit top of the league currently. Where I will say that we didn't quite do enough is that I still feel we're short in a couple of positions. I still have uh, massive issues if Jesus gets injured or if Thomas Partey gets injured. And when we already see six games in, no midfielder on the bench to come in if Lokonga or Chaka gets injured. That's a big worry and concern to me when we're only six games in and a season where we're in four competitions, a World Cup and the use of five subs. So I think we've left ourselves a bit short and I can't say that we've had a fantastic transfer window out of the six we've had already. So there is some concerns there for me in terms of not just what Arteta does, but also what the board and obviously, as you mentioned, Edu do as well. So I think they have to take a lot of responsibility. And I've been quite clear this season about where my problems will lie if things don't go well. It won't be at the manager or at Edu. It will be at the bloke who's in charge of them all. Because for me, they've had four seasons now where Kroenke is trying to look at a process or a project. And I'm looking personally now at the manager, sorry, at the owner saying, Things aren't going too rosy, mate, are they? What are you going to do about it? Because you're now four seasons in. And if you're going to stick with it and say that sixth is fine this season still because we're still in Europe, then I'm Mm. sorry, but you're the ones to blame. No longer is it Arteta's fault. So I think sometimes you have to look at it and say, 
The manager has showed me what he is. At the moment, it's not quite good enough. He's still learning. And I'm sure one day he'll be a good manager because he cares. He gives a damn about what he does. Yeah. And he's learned off the best. At the moment, it doesn't look like he's quite ready to take us to where we want to be. And that's Stan Kroenke or Josh Kroenke, whatever way you want to look at it. So yeah, that's why I'm going to be looking. Yeah, Josh, that's where I'm going to be looking at if things don't go too too good. But at the moment, Tom, I think we're playing really well. And I like I like the first 11. I've got a lot of, lot of time for a lot mm. of them players. Um, I think sometimes our strength in depth is a little bit lacking, but certainly that first 11 is is very good. You know, when you line up in a tunnel and you think, oh, Bellerin, oh, Mustafi, oh, is going to turn up? <laughs> it's going to be easy don't day do that today. Yeah. yeah, don't do that anymore, man. Don't do that anymore. And do you know what? The only person I would have done that with um, last season would have been Granite Chakra. And I think, hold my hands up, he's been one of our best players for me this season. Consistency-wise, yeah. yeah. I think he's been outstanding. So, um, And that takes a lot for me to say, as people know, I'm not a massive fan. So I think when well, you look at that you first show, 11... Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they get that first 11, bro. And I'm, I'm quite happy with what I'm seeing. So it's not this team is crud. It's can we get this good team now to deliver? And um, that's what I'm going to be looking at, mate. Yeah, no, I think that's a fair um, perspective, absolutely. I think the point about the manager is always going to be now because, as we've just discussed, the next step for us this season has to be qualification for the Champions League at a minimum. But the next stage after that is, you know, not just sitting at the top in October, which we will be, but also looking ahead to what we need to achieve in the long term and staying there throughout a season and potentially competing with you know, the likes of Man City, it's not going to be easy. You know, Man City are kind of a law unto themselves. And if you are going to get to that level, as Liverpool managed during a brief period, you've got to make the perfect choices in a sustainable project, which we are, well, we try to be, how sustainable our recruitment and sales has been recently is definitely up for debate. But, you know, if that's the model that we're pushing to, we have to be perfect with everything that we decide. And one of those decisions about being perfect is who you put in charge of the team. And if that's Arteta, he needs to prove that he's the right guy. I look at it from the perspective of when he took over, you know, Arsenal were on a bit of a slide. You know, Emery left us in, I think it was 11th when he when he was was sacked. And we obviously went down to, well, not down, but technically back up to eighth after we were left in 11th. And then we maintained that 11th place during the COVID season. Make of that what you will. But, you know, it wasn't enough progression. There was a lot of mistakes made during that season. But I suppose there are some mitigating circumstances. And then you look to last season, no one really expected us to be in a top four race. We managed to finish just a couple of points off top four, which in the end, on the surface, looked to be a huge disappointment because we'd led that position for so long. So despite they're not necessarily thinking we'd be in the top four, the opportunity that we created for ourselves was so big that it ended up being a disappointment that we didn't actually manage to follow that through. I think there's circumstances both that are were and weren't in Arteta's control, but the things that were, certainly you could argue, would have given us maybe potentially three extra points to get us into that top four. So this season comes around, we start off brilliantly, we've got some really good signings that are making a really strong impact. If, if we don't finish in the top four, I'm looking at where we're at right now and I'm thinking how, especially when you consider how poor Liverpool have been, the chaos at Chelsea right now, Man United are a bit of an unknown quantity with how Eric Ten Hag might turn things. Obviously, he's now won their last four games, but I've not necessarily been convinced by the way they've won well, their last four Well, they were great games. the other night when I watched Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and lost against Real Sociedad, I suppose. I didn't even think about that. And obviously, by the time your listeners are listening to this, they would have played their next Europa League game. Um, but it's... It's it's difficult. I'm sure I'm missing someone. Spurs, you know, Antonio Conte, for me, Spurs this season, I don't quite know how they are, where they are. And I don't quite <laughs> know how they've not lost a game. Like, I've watched enough of them to know that they don't look like a team that have not lost a game. Am I being overly no, critical you're being and biased? Factual, mate. You're yeah. being factual, and I still don't understand how that team got into the top four last season. But my... <laughs> My kind of answer to that is because they've got an elite manager and he just knows how to get results out of them. And unfortunately, um, well, I suppose fortunately, I don't see him being here past this season. Whatever happens, mm. I think Antonio Conte will be gone. Otherwise, he would have signed an extension by now, in my opinion. That that contract runs out at the end of this year. This I think Conte wants to go and win something at Spurs and say, there we go, I've won something else again with a poor side. I'm off to go into my next job, which will probably be PSG or somewhere else like that, right? That's what I think will happen. The reason I think Spurs and Manchester City are nailed on for top four is because they have two of the best managers in the league that know how to get results. And Pep Guardiola does. And Conte, as we would have seen this weekend, if the game would have got ahead, would have got something against Man City because he just always does. They either what get one Liverpool, point then? or three Because you've not said them. So with Liverpool, in my opinion, from what I've seen so far, 
they're going through the stage of having probably hit the best part of their era that they're probably going to have. And what I mean by that is, say again? Is it stale? It feels stale. It feels stale. stale. It feels wrong to me. And I feel like they've tried to keep it unstale, but failed with that. So some of Mm. the players that they've brought in haven't quite been the Mane's of this world, i.e. Diaz, who I think is quality, by the way, but he's Mm -hmm. not a Mane. I'm not so sure that Darwin Nunez is doing the job that Firmino would have done a few years ago, and even Firmino can't do that now. I look in the midfield and think that when Harvey Elliott's outperforming your midfield, you've got a problem because mm. he shouldn't be. He's a good player, by the way, but mm. he shouldn't be outperforming. When you've got Milner and Henderson still in there, maybe it's time for a refresh. At the back, Van Dijk has had his best days in the Premier League by far, and they were elite. It doesn't look like he's going to be that same elite defender. Robertson's assists are no longer, it doesn't seem. Um Mane and Robertson on that left-hand side were so good together. And Robertson's not had that since he's now gone in the first few games that I can see. So Liverpool have got some problems. I still think they're going to be in a title challenge, by the way, because I still think their squad's good enough. But I don't look at them this season and think, wow, City have got some serious problems. So I think with City at the moment, they're probably looking over their shoulder at Arsenal and Spurs in the long run, thinking them two could be a bit dangerous. Liverpool Mm. and Chelsea at the moment look like they need the season to sort themselves out albeit I think they'll still both finish strongly. And with Manchester United, I still don't think that their squad, personally, like us, is strong enough. I think there's huge gaps in their defence and in their midfield still. And I don't know that they've even got a centre-forward that I rate. (laughs) So, Mm. you know, and maybe that's harsh on Ronaldo because he's the GOAT. But when I look at it, I think that is Ronaldo going to take them in? Was the GOAT, exactly. It was being the key word. So you're right in what you say. Man United are going to look inconsistent. I'm not sure what we're going to get from Chelsea. Liverpool at the moment could be put in that bracket. Spurs and Manchester City are the only two out of those top six clubs that I look at and I know are definitely going to be confirmed, in my opinion, Champions League football. So do you not say that about Arsenal because because of Arteta? Is that why? I think what I don't say about Arsenal is for two reasons. One, because the manager hasn't done it yet, and I think that's yeah. factual. And two, yeah. I don't think the squad's good enough. I don't think the squad. I think the team's really? good enough. If we so, yeah. if you said to me, Tom, that first eleven is going to stay fit, Dan, for the Premier League season, I think we'll get mm. top four. If, for example, we have two or three injuries, let's say, let's just worst case scenario here, and this isn't going to yeah, happen because yeah, yeah. it'd be yeah. shockingly bad luck if it did. But let's just say we miss Tommy Asu party. Um, Saka and Jesus for the majority of the latter part of the season. Do we get top four? I don't think Nketiah gets the goal Jesus does. I don't think that Lokonga can do the job Party does. I'm not sure that Ben White long-term can do what uh, Tomiyasu does. And I'm not so sure that Marquinhos is going to be the reliable uh, player that Saka is. Mm. Now, that might not all happen. And God, I'm touching wood now, hoping (laughs) that it doesn't. But my point is, if you get one or two of those compartments gone, is the quality there. Last season, it wasn't. Cedric, Holding, Elneny, Eddie, um, uh, Tavares, they weren't good enough. Lakonga, it didn't make for good cover. I think the drop-off in class is massive between Party and Lakonga, Jesus okay. and Eddie, um, Saka and Marquinhos. Uh, you know, I, I think the drop in class is too much. So that's why I suggest it. Now, don't get me wrong, Tom, at the same time, if we're seeing the Liverpool and the Chelsea's that we're seeing throughout this season, I don't know how we don't get top four. And if we don't, yeah, it's been yeah. a shocker of a season. Mm. So my point is, I think Graham Potter will come in and improve Chelsea. I think they needed a refresh. I think Tuchel somehow lost the dressing room. I think certainly Klopp is a good enough manager to take Liverpool to that next level and say, look, I've got my four or five players back, i.e. Cunyate, Fabinho, Matip, um, players like that that have been missing, Jota. And now we're going again and we're looking good again. So I expect that to happen. I thought the Champions League places would be going to Manchester City, Liverpool, Spurs and Chelsea. And I thought Arsenal would just miss out with Manchester United in fifth and sixth. If I was to look at the way we've started, I'd say it will probably be Chelsea that miss out of that top four and Arsenal will be in it. Mm. But of course, we have to deliver and we have to execute that plan. And I think at the moment, we've had a plan for the last three years. I don't think people say we haven't had a plan. I think we have had a plan. It's whether or not you believe that plan is going to be good enough to be executed to work. And I've had my doubts about that. Personally, I think Champions League is a must this season. And I think that if we get it through either one, he'll be safe in terms of his job. Um, he might even be safe anyway. We don't know. Oh, I think he'll be safe, safe anyway. To be there, you yeah. there you go. There you go. But for me, if he wins the Europa League or he gets the top four, he'll stay. And fair play, he's got us into the Champions League. It's not where I want to be. I think we mm. should be doing that minimally. But he's done what 
Unai Emery and Wenger couldn't do, and the fans will be happy enough with that. And we go again with Champions League football, and I think he'll be fine. But um, I have my doubts, Tom, I do. Uh, let's pick up on the uh, the squad thing. I thought that was an interesting point. I've, I'm using a graphic I've used a while ago just to kind of represent kind of where oh, the nice, squad's yeah. at. Um, so, you know, the players in white are playing in their quote-unquote more natural positions. I know that Zinchenko has been described more of a natural midfielder, but for us, you know, he's, he's a left back. Yeah. Um, the players in, in yellow are players who can deputise in, in other areas of the field. Um, so on paper, with the versatility which the club have looked to bring in. You know, we have three players who could operate in each of the uh, of the positions across the season. The issue of the fact is that nine of those 11 third choices are players that are more naturally operating elsewhere. So you've got kind of that, you've got depth, but it's not established depth in terms of, you know, lacking without the versatility being needed in there. That said, you know, I... I look at this squad and think that team, that squad, not just the starting eleven, but I do think that squad is good enough for top four this season with what we've yeah. got. I know that we've had issues with Partey. I think the frustration for Arsenal has been that Elneny, who, to be honest, at the end of last season, genuinely put in performances that were on a level that Partey has put in. You know, I think he's put in performances at times that have been wildly still underrated, and he's been very solid for us. And you're not going to find a backup player that I think gives you consistently those types of performances all that often. The problem we've had is he's now out for, you know, a, a, an extended period, as well as Partey, who, as we know, is a, a player that has suffered with a stupid amount of injuries. What, he's 56% of games, I think, he's managed to start for mm. Arsenal since he's arrived, which is not good enough. Um, the left eight position's a bit of a, a an area. If Xhaka is gone or is injured or is suspended for three games because he gets a stupid red card... You know, we don't necessarily have, you know, a quality out and out option. Arguably, Zinchenko, I think, would naturally move there. And then you'd play Tierney at left back. Um, Lukonga, for me, when he plays, strikes me more as a player that suits that role than an out and out number six from the way that he plays. 100%. Uh, and then, yeah, and then you've got Vieira, of course, who, whilst I think was brought in to give Odegaard competition and cover, and we needed that because there isn't really anyone else that can do what Odegaard does in this team. And Vieira's creativity, I think, was absolutely needed to cover that. He could also potentially play left eight. And it would be interesting, I think, to see Odegaard and Vieira maybe play together in the midfield with Partey behind them just to see how you know, mm. free-flowing and creative we could be. And then the other kind of glaring obvious area is is behind Saka. You know, if Saka's gone, the right-wing area without Pepe, who we allowed to leave before those injuries hit and we pivoted to try and sign a midfielder, I think we may have moved for a wide player in the remaining hours of, and days of the window, but obviously the injury meant that they pivoted. That's now left us until at least January with Marquinhos, who, as you said a second ago, looks exciting. You know, could be a bit of a a Martinelli saviour type of of deal. We'll have to wait and see. But yeah, this is kind of where the squad's at. So talk me through really why, because I want to kind of go deeper into why you think it's not enough really for a top four spot. So if we just look at, and I, I won't take long with this because um, yeah. I think it's quite clear. Let's start with the goalkeeper. <laughs> Let's start with the goalkeeper. <laughs> yeah. um, I'd never seen Hind play, so we can forget about mm -hmm. him. But I've seen Turner play and... Um, Wow, Tom. You're not convinced. <laughs> wow. Um, I think your message in our WhatsApp group on the night against Zurich was, oh, goodness. <laughs> yeah. Something along um, those lines. Yeah. Maybe I'm being harsh because it's only early days. But from yeah. what I've seen, the signs don't look too much different to Runnison at the moment mm. for me. Um, and mm. he was poor. I don't know if the same scouts are scouting these goalkeepers. Um, yeah. We've never done great with goalkeepers, Tom, if I'm honest with you. I can think in my era of two world-class goalkeepers we've ever had, and that's Seaman and Lehman, um, because yeah. Petacek was obviously towards the end of his career when we signed him. Uh, Wojciech Szczesny was very young. Fabianski and Almunia were not really good enough and had to go to lower division sides. And other than that, we're really struggling. So Leno was replaced with both Martinez and Ramsdale, so we can't put him in that bracket either. So as much as I really like Aaron Ramsdale, he's probably got the potential to be a class player, but I wouldn't know that he's got potentially a world-class talent. I think if he does get injured, we've got Turner, and I'm not convinced with what I've seen so far in terms of the amount of nervousness I've seen on the ball, the flapping from crosses, also the playing out from the back. He looks really nervous at doing and Although it was an absolute horrendous back pass from Gabriel the other night, you just got to mm. clear your lines with that and not start trying to, you know, play ticker tackle with it. So, yeah, not convinced with the goalkeeping area. I actually would would say 
with my, with chest that we're weaker in that position this year than we were last year. Because for me, Leno coming in was actually quite good cover. I'm not so sure that Turner is. Um, no. At the left-back side, I'm happy, really happy. I think that's one area that really, really affected us last season. Because when Tierney was out, I felt attacking-wise and defensively, we were both weaker. And I think that with Zinchenko coming in, although positionally I've got some doubts at times of his discipline, I do think he's a very, very comfortable, uh, good footballer with great mm-hmm. mentality. And of course, winning mentality at that. At the back, I think it's probably the strongest we've been in centre-back for a long time, although I'm still not really a huge fan of Rob Holding. He's one of those Mm -hmm. players that comes in and will do a job. And sometimes that's enough when you're a fifth choice or whatever it is. I think Gabriel, Saliba and White have all proved that they're good defensively for me. I know Ben White gets a lot of critics and I've been one of those at times Mm -hmm. to say that perhaps he's not going to be a Tony Adams, but I do like him on the ball. I think he's very comfortable on the ball. I think sometimes in the air, we questioned it, but I certainly think he's improved that. And I think Gabriel, though he's had a bit of a shaky start, has proved to be a good centre-half over the years. And Saliba for me has been different gravy, mate. Mm -hmm. So I'm quite happy there. However, at right back, I'm not, Tom. And the reason I'm not is because as much as I think Ben White's actually played really well there for the start of this season, I'm not sure that that's long-term. And Cedric, to me, just has never been the player that some people want him to be. I think the only good thing he does is cross a football. Um, He's one of the only players that can cross a football. I'm not so sure he's great going forward, however. I'm not so sure he's great back defending. Uh, Gets caught out out of position quite a lot. Tommy Asu love, but played less games than Tierney and Party last season. So again, is how, how fit is he going to be? So I thought right back was potentially an area that we could have strengthened. Yeah, let's st- stick in at the right back position. Um, you know, we've seen this season in particular, Trent Alexander-Arnold's got a stupid amount of criticism because he's been pretty poor, you know, this year, defensively in particular. I mean, I'm sure you've seen the compilations going around Twitter of him just walking around and not really having any kind of defensive work rate whatsoever. It's clear from Tommy Asu and White and the profiles they are that Arteta's got this idea of what he wants from the right-back role. It's to unleash the left-back position, you know, and the right-back basically becomes a right-sided centre-back most of the time. That said, White has been getting further forward and supporting Saka where he can. Is that for you the future of of this style? Is that the way in which you foresee that? Or do you see like maybe a Brook Norton Cuffey who is more offensive Mm. coming through the ranks, really exciting talent? Or do you see us going out and signing a Cedric style player who's more offensive minded, but you know, needs to be better defensively. Yeah, I think it's a good question. And I think there's two things to that. I think it was clear very early on that the left-hand side was the attacking option in terms of defense. And I think the fullback option there in Tierney and both Sinchenko now as well, um, won't change that. I love Tommy Asu's discipline and I quite like the way he plays. I quite like a defender to be able to defend. Yeah, <laughs> And we've seen, haven't we so many times at Arsenal, yeah. Bellerin, bombing it down. Cedric, we've just mentioned, bombing it down. I think we have to go back as far as maybe Sanya or Lauren to say that they were actually good defensively. So mm-hmm. we haven't really had that before. I think with Tommy Asu, you can't say that. He's fantastic defensively. Aerial threat is amazing. I think he's definitely good and strong enough and has enough work rate. I think going forward, we don't see him overlapping very much, but I think that's tactically. I know that's because he can't do it. I think that's just tactically. Um, I think we might need another option there that can do that job, but has the ability to get back and defend. And I think that's been our problem is that sometimes Bellerin could get back, but couldn't defend. I think we need a player that can get back and can defend. Um, I quite like Tariq Lamptey from Brighton. I've seen him be able to get back and defend. Um, Very, very small, (laughs) but I don't mind that because he looks like he's still strong and a bit of a terrier. And I love the way that he gets forward. I think he's, I think he's going to be outstanding. I really do. I think that he's going to be an outstanding talent and it might cost us a lot of money, but I would like to see something like that come in. Ben White is actually someone that's proved me wrong at that position. I don't know if you remember, mm. Tom, but last season we actually won the game and played very well against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. Yeah. Him and Holding were a shambles, mate. Absolute. I was there in first <laughs> half. Oh, my God, they were awful together. I thought, what are these two doing here? And that's a combination I don't want to see again at centre-back and right-back, that's for sure. Mm. But what I've seen from Ben White this season, I think he deserves a lot of credit because he's in an unnatural position. He definitely can. Um, say that you, you can't say he's not comfortable on the ball. Mm. So right back for me, maybe, maybe, just maybe, Ben White could prove a lot of critics wrong and say that he is our backup for cover at right back. But the reason I don't like that is because obviously his natural position for me mm. anyway as a centre-back. So I'd like to see an actual right back be cover, if I'm honest. I potentially think we're quite, we're quite yeah. um, short there. Um, but moving forward, 
the, the two key issues are in midfield for me, mate. Um, cover for Thomas Party and cover for Granit Xhaka looks pretty much non-existent, if you can call it existent at all. I think with El Nenny coming in and doing a job, you're going to see that exactly, coming in and doing a job. Now that he's injured long-term, it's going to be down to Lukonga, who I don't think is a defensive midfielder. And just touching on this yeah. player, I really like what I see on the ball. I think he's a very good player on the mm. ball, Lukonga. Mm-hmm. Off the ball, I have my question marks. You can't go to Old Trafford in a defensive midfield role and put in zero tackles. You just can't do that. So for me, he's a number eight more than a six. Um, I think Zinchenko can play there if Chaka's gone, but I do think that we need an upgrade on Granite Chaka. And whether you thought Tielemans was going to be it or if um, somebody else was going to come in and be that, I think we needed somebody else in there, both of those positions. And I think that's where we're going to now be short, in my opinion. I agree with you about Vieira. I think Smith Rowe, another one who's made a glass. <laughs> um, if he is fit, I think he's a great player. Erdegaard, I don't think anyone he does that role. And he's starting to prove a lot of critics wrong with his goal tally now. And I think that's mm. great to see. Um, Fabio Vieira, I thought was a little bit harshly treated the other night. I, I didn't think he was that bad. I really praised him. I, I thought he was really good. I, I know that he lost the ball a couple of times. And, you know, for a first start, you know, he's going to be a bit rusty, especially after not having yeah. a preseason. But... Uh, oh, listen, I didn't yeah, walk off the I pitch thinking, wow, this guy is exceptional. But at no. the same time, I certainly didn't walk away thinking he had a shocker. And I heard some people saying that they really didn't rate him. I thought he was really good and pivotal for the first goal. It was a fantastic pass to Eddie mm, and a great cross, yeah. by the way, and a great first-time finish. And I thought mm. that some of the stuff that I was seeing from him was good. And what I liked about Vieira's role was people were happy to give him the ball because they had confidence in him. Yeah. So I think He's that's really important. A bit. I think that might be it. He's yeah, a bit slight. Lightweight. Maybe that's lightweight. what people say, yeah. Yeah, lightweight, which is a worry for the Premier League. But um, I think we're okay in that position. I was quite surprised that we went for another attacking midfielder as opposed to an Mm. eight or a six. That was my Mm. surprise in the window. But listen, I was happy with the signing because I think he could be a good player. Um, I think we're struggling a bit in the fr- across the front three and I'll tell you why I think certainly on the left it's probably looking the strongest out of the three positions because I like what Martinelli brings to the team and I certainly think his link-up play with Jesus has improved immensely this season and I think he's been one of our better players sometimes I think he lacks a little bit of maturity Martinelli and he's a bit rash in his decision making mm. but I do really like the player and think he's got a high ceiling Smith Rowe we all know about 10 goals last season and at the moment struggling to get a first team place but certainly mm. when he comes in I don't think he weakens our team um, Nelson, I'm sorry, mate. I, I don't get it. I, d- I don't rid, get it. Yeah. I'm afraid. I think it's time for him to go and find an actual first team football that wants to keep him because he's had about four loans and no one wants him yet. Um, yeah. So I don't see that as strength in depth. On the right hand side, I think you're right. We're potentially lacking a player if Marquinhos can come in and be that guy that, let's say, is better than Pepe. I think everybody mm. will say, "Wow, okay, fair play. We found another gem." But at the moment, after seeing you know sixty minutes of football, I can't I can't really analyse exactly, that yeah. too much, other than saying he was really good. One thing that impressed me the most about him, which I didn't think, I thought he's, I thought he was going to impress me with his dribbling and his running at goal and his um, his strength and stuff like that. Because what I've seen on YouTube, his crossing, by the way, was very <sighs> Man, very so pleasing. Good. Yeah, very pleasing. Yeah, so I was really surprised and happy with that, and, and encouraged. So let's hope that we see a lot more of him. Um, Saka, we all know about his his class and got the ability to be world class, and I think has probably out of everybody got the the highest ceiling, along with maybe Saliba and Martinelli. Um, up front, I have issues, Tom. I have issues, mate. Um, <laughs> yeah. If Jesus gets injured, bruv, I really do have issues. And what I'll say about Eddie and Ketir is I've seen progress in his game. I've seen development in his game this season. I've seen his pace and his power and his intensity and his strength all grow. I don't see enough goals from the lads throughout a, a period of time. Mm. And I think we've seen so far that he struggled. I mean, to be fair, he did score the other night and he assisted, which was great. He had a good performance uh, against Zurich. I need to see those kind of performances when he's coming on against Bournemouth. He needs to be hitting the net. When he's coming on against Fulham and Villa, I need to be seeing a bit more. And although I've been encouraged... I need to see goals from my strikers and I'm not so sure I'm going to get them from Eddie. So I think maybe we're a couple of positions short across the front three and a couple of positions short in midfield still. And obviously there's issues at right back as I've discussed. Yeah, let's let's stick on. That's interesting about um, Nketiah because, you know, obviously at the end of last season, he was given the opportunity he asked for where he played games and he scored yeah. goals, you know, and important ones, especially at Stamford Bridge, you know. Um his positioning was was good. His, his positioning for cutbacks was really strong. And as you say, I think in particular what we saw against Zurich was that he was a player that actually was running in behind and, you know, beat a man and had a really good cross, was creative. And that's what he needs to do. do is, is it fair of me to think that because Nketiah's been at the club a long time and he's been coming off the bench a long time, and I think he's racked up 
a ridiculous number of actual like genuine appearances for Arsenal, despite the minutes being significantly different. I'm just trying to do a quick Google search to see how many Premier League it's he's made. 65 Premier League appearances for wow. Arsenal. You know, 10 goals um, in that time. But you would have to say that I'd say ninety percent of those sixty-five yeah. are probably st- uh, are probably off the bench. Ninety percent of those appearances. But when he was given those starts, you know, last time, I thought he did well. So when you're saying there that he needs to come off the bench, he needs to score. I think his argument, speaking for him, would be well. I said before, if I'm only being given 15 minutes, you know, in a game, is it fair to expect me always to just come on and do that? Because that's not the type of striker I am, as I proved at the end of last season. And I think that would be fair. And I think my kind of my kind of analysis of it is this. Do I have confidence Eddie Nketiah is going to score when he comes off the bench? And at the moment, it's no. I think he's proved that with a couple of times wrong because last season I thought he had a really surprisingly good uh, back end of the season when he was given the chance. And I think that what I want from Eddie is to have the confidence that he's going to do that again. I actually quite like Eddie as a kid. I actually quite like the fact that he gives 110% and he runs around. And, you know, like Danny Welbeck and Iwobi were never going to hit the heights, but they always used to give 110%. I see that Mm -hmm. kind of attitude with Eddie. Like he's always going to come in and do a, a great, sort of uh, job in terms of his work rate and his and his pace and power. And I think some of his creativity has improved over the last few games that I've seen. I think he's actually starting to create a little bit of not just chances, but space um, and opportunities, which I think has definitely improved in his game. Um, I saw him for the first time when he came on in the Carabao Cup or the League Cup. It was probably called something else back then when he scored two goals against Norwich. I never heard of the kid and no one could say his surname at the time. It was all Eddie, Eddie, Eddie. And I remember at the Emirates, he came on. I think it was Arsene Wenger even back then. And I thought, who the hell is this guy? Like This this kid looks like he's coming on the scene. Um, and then we started to see him being thrown on a few times because of that kind of cameo performance. And I started to see something with him. Um, and then when he went on loan at Leeds and they played Bamford ahead of him, probably because of a system more than the fact that he wasn't good enough. I thought, why is that? Because if you're good enough, you would have got in against ahead of Bamford in the championship. And then I think that probably knocked his confidence a bit and he was coming back and he wasn't really doing it. What I will say, Tom, the manager loves him. (laughs) The Mm. manager's seen something in him that he loves because you cannot tell me that you're willing to give a 22 or 23, I think he is just year old, £100,000 a week and say you're my number two striker if you don't rate him. Because you've got a massive opportunity to get rid of him there because yeah, his contract's yeah. run out. So yeah. Arteta has seen something in training and something around the place that he really likes. And that must fill the team with confidence because obviously he's obviously a good head and a good egg to have around around the place. So I suppose to answer your question, he can prove me wrong by putting the ball in the back of the net and prove that he's a good backup striker. But I still have my doubts. It's a lot of money. You know, I've not even I thought about his wages in a long time since the whole contract renewal fiasco and the number 14 chaos that we had to go through at that time. But yeah, it's it's a lot of money. Um, yeah. I think obviously the benefit of the Europa League this season and the League Cup, you know, ironically, the fact that without Premier League football, um, you know, uh, I was going to go and talk about the PSV game, which I can't really because I know it hasn't taken place yet when the time this, this show will go out after that. But, you know, interesting to see what the fallout is his involvement in that but of course after the break and going back you would imagine that because we're going to be playing two games a week for the foreseeable future now with the Everton and Brentford yeah. games needing to be rearranged you know we we don't have a gap in our schedule at all up until and even after the World Cup there isn't a sched, there isn't a break there is going to have to be uh, midweek games for the foreseeable so you think that Nketiah would get an opportunity I think Jesus's versatility will help us because I think Jesus and Nketiah can play together I think you can start both of them so that would be have to be something that we trial and use at certain at some stage but yeah I, I I think the squad, from my perspective, I think we have a squad that's good enough to get top four this particular season. Perhaps if it stayed the same next season, I don't think so. I think we'd absolutely have to, you know, make changes, make additions. The last thing I'll ask you is I think that from, and this whole idea around what Arteta and this squad needs to do to get to where our expectations are, mm. that's kind of where I wanted to end the show in terms of building a squad. And we're, we're going to be doing a show uh, with Clive from the Arsenal Vision Pod talking about, you know, transfers and sculpting a perfect kind of team. But for me, just to get your thoughts on this topic, that the two key areas for me to pinpoint what we need still are the defensive midfield position, 
the number six because Partey is not reliable enough for me, you know, to, to stay. Mm-hmm. I think Arsenal need to go out and find their Rodri, their Fabinho. That's the type yeah. of player I think Arsenal need to go and get. And ironically, right next to them, because Granit Xhaka is not getting any, any younger, is that number eight position also needs to find someone that's going to be, you know, a really good player, a Thiago Alcantara, a Gundogan, you know. And I know these are guys that are now in their 30s, but that's the level that Arsenal need to look to and the style mm. I think that Arsenal need to, to look to. Can Vieira be that? Maybe but we don't know yet. But those two areas in particular, I know we can talk about depth in other positions like right wing and right back and, you know, those areas. But in terms of starters, and if we look to City and Liverpool, you know, they're really adding one or two starters a season now because that's where they've got their squad to. And that's where we need to get our squad to. We're adding one or two starters a season to keep us going and pushing. They're the two areas for me. It's the Rodri or Fabinho and the Gundogan or the Thiago. They're the two areas I think that Arsenal need. But where do you kind of see what's, the starting positions in this team that need to be addressed for next year if we are to push on beyond just Champions League qualifiers. You're spot on, bruv, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I can't disagree with anything you've said. I think if we can go and find a Rodri and a Thiago, we'll be, we'll be in a really, really good place. Um, listen, don't get me wrong. If you said to me now you can have Tariq Lamptey at right back, Pedro Neto at right wing and Tammy Abraham up front, I'm not going to say I don't want them. <laughs> but at the same <laughs> time, I think when you look at a priority within the first eleven. Party has not shown that he's reliable enough in terms of his injury problems. Yeah. And Granit Xhaka, for me, over the years, has shown that there's a discipline issues and that we can be an upgraded version of him as much as I think he's done well of late. And actually, to be fair, probably has had the best two seasons of his Arsenal career, in my opinion. Um, there were still problems there. So I think, like you said, those two positions are key. That profile of player, like a Rodri Fabinho, uh, Thiago Gondawan, wow, yeah, I mean, nobody would say no to that. I still do think the other three positions I've mentioned at right back, right wing and centre forward are potentially short, but I wouldn't put them as a priority over the other two in midfield because I really feel that we're weak both in the first 11 and uh, in terms of backup there. So they're the ones that I would address first without a doubt in the summer or maybe even in January, who knows? Yeah, absolutely. You just think like if Arsenal added two world-class midfielders to and and have, you know, I lo- I love Martin Erdegaard. I think he's brilliant. I love him. And I think that he can hold his hold his own in a midfield with a level of Rodri and a level of a Gundogan or a Thiago. I think he those three you add he probably that. improved Tom. He probably yeah, absolutely. You're absolutely spot on. They're the types of players that elevate, you know, the rest. Like Jesus has elevated Saka and Martinelli, in my opinion. You know, I know that Saka's had a quiet start, but just their interplay and Odegaard as well, arguably too, giving him kind of that that person he can feed with passes. I think he has elevated this team, not just in quality, but in terms of the demand of how much energy and running you have to put in as well. And it sets an example. If Arsenal can add a Jesus equivalent to the six and to the left eight. This squad is in a really good place. And, you know, that's to the credit of both Arteta and Edu for getting it there as well. I think they've not done perfect in windows, as we've already discussed. But certainly the foundations for this squad, in terms of a starting eleven, is is there. And I think, you know, there's potential for exciting times ahead. So, Dan, I will ask you as we wrap things up for a prediction about where you think this season will end. I know that's really mean. We've only six Premier League games under our belt. But where is your head at and how confident are you? So at the start of the season, I predicted to become fifth because mm-hmm. I felt that Chelsea would be in a better place. I thought their transfer window was actually a, a good one. Um, I think if you offered those players to a lot of clubs, they'd say, yeah, we'll snap your hand off. Um, looking at the way things have gone for them, I still feel they're going to be in a little bit of a start again type season with a new manager now and some new players coming in. So they might need time to gel. So my prediction has gone from Arsenal to finish fifth to now Arsenal finish fourth. Um, the start we've had, I think the players that we've got that we brought in into the first team, my only qualm, of course, is injuries. And I think that, you know, at the start of the season, that could have been the reason as to why, along with the, the manager still trying to prove me wrong, uh, to get us into the Champions League were probably the two main reasons. I think when you look at that team at the moment and the way it's playing, we've got to be really unlucky to get those that scenario, the worst case scenario that I've said with three or four of those key players getting injured long term for us to not have a chance of it. So I'm going to go for Arsenal to sneak fourth, mate. I think we'll finish below Liverpool, Spurs and Man City. Interesting. Uh, I look forward to seeing kind of how the season plays out because there is potential for something, you know, great, I think, to happen this season. I'm not talking about titles. I think it's too soon. But I, I genuinely think we can push this team as far as it can and go as high up the table as we can. 
it's going to take some luck in terms of injuries, that's for sure. And we haven't had the best of luck at the start, but we've managed to keep a really strong record with five wins out of six. And hopefully we can, when we return seemingly against Spurs, and then as you say, Liverpool after that, followed by an away trip to Leeds uh, and then a home game against Manchester City. It's four games that are really going to test this team and really test this eleven. And I look forward to kind of seeing where we are after those four games. But I think Liverpool are there for the taking. I think our home game against Man City last season showed that we can go toe-to-toe with them at the Emirates and we've got a better team now than we did then. So there's no reason why Arsenal couldn't get try and get something in that game. And, you know, the the Spurs game in particular is a must-win always at the Emirates. An absolute must-win. Have to pick up those three points and, and deal damage. And their first loss will be, of course, of the season as well. Dan, thank you so much for taking the time. Really appreciate it, especially because it's a pre-recorded show, which are never the easiest ones to do, but I think we smashed it. So thanks again. Tell people where they can find you and, and what you're going to be up to over what will be, of course, when the people listen to this going into the mm. Spurs games. No, cheers, mate. Listen, um, make sure you have a wicked holiday. I hope you have a, wake, yes, a great time. And um, I'm glad you've done this content because it's a great channel and it's good to see you smashing it, mate. And um, if you do want to come follow me on socials, it's at DanArsenal87. I'm on Instagram now as well as Twitter. Uh, and then also my new podcast, which is Football's 12th Man Podcast. If you come on and give us a subscribe, I'm on the road to 5K. I'm about 200 away, people. Beautiful. So please get us up to 5K. It'd be amazing for my kind of next goal. I wanted to get to 1K, then 5K. So that's my next one uh and obviously i'm on AFTV and lee judges tv as well in terms of arsenal content so please come and support if you can guys and thank you tom absolutely um a link will be left in the description to both uh the uh, football's 12th man podcast and lee judges tv so do make sure you subscribe to both help dan on his way as he says five thousand subs considering you started that channel you know so recently that's great you know people create channels and it takes such a long time to, to get to even just a hundred and then a thousand so getting to nearly five thousand dan is amazing so i'm, I'm fair Cheers. play for doing it on all premier league football as well because i mean arguably that makes it even harder because you've got to cover loads yeah. of clubs <laughs> not just one and get yeah, guests tough, consistently as well which in itself is a challenge as i'm sure you've what you've now found out so yeah it is. yeah indeed um thank you so much listeners for tuning in i hope that you are enjoying whatever number episode this is along the honeymoon series um do leave a like do subscribe do tune in tomorrow for the next one it really does help out the channel whilst i'm away and i hope that you've appreciated the work that goes into trying to make sure that the content does continue despite me sunning myself in mauritius so uh, thank you for listening i'll see you again very very soon and as always of the arsenal It's the 90-plus minute. All your mates around, and you've got a McNuggets share box ready to go, and you know a late winner's coming. Your mates already got booked for a double dip in, and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfection. Order now on the McDonald's app for your delivery. You in? At participating restaurants, 18-plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. Talk sport. Powered by fans.